Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. Last time I was here, we went through uh, John chapter 9, where Jesus gave sight to the man born blind. Uh, Jesus demonstrated His power. He demonstrated His uh, ability, His uh, um, deity. He demonstrated His ability to heal. We went through eight reasons why the religious leaders of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, hated Him with an apoplectic, red-faced, vein-popping type of hatred uh, that was irrational and powerful and really inexplicable. Except there are reasons, you might say, humanly speaking, why they might hate Him. Uh, I mentioned eight of them, as I said said a minute ago, but uh, I want to key on four of them just as a reminder. Uh, why the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. He claimed to be of the same essence as God, one in essence with God, equal with God in human flesh. He healed on the Sabbath. Remember the written law said, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. The seventh day is a day of rest. Uh, The Lord made the earth and the heavens in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and God expects us to rest one day of the week, but the Jewish leaders had put fencing around the law. Remember, Jesus wrote the law. They put fencing around the law of oral tradition that said, if you did this, if you pluck your beard, if you you sew a knot, if you walk with shoes or sandals that has nails in them, you're working and you're breaking the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath was outlawed in the oral tradition, but Jesus said, you know, I'm healing on the Sabbath. He, they, he was hated for that. He claimed to be the Son of Man, as Lee just read to us from Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man in exalted position, presented to the Ancient of Days before the throne room, exalted, high and lifted up, an amazing position. He claimed to be the Son of Man, which is why everybody was so upset about that. He was an ordinary man. He was just ordinary. How could the Son of Man come from Nazareth of all places? Nazareth, a backwater town. Uh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He was not formally educated. He, was, he didn't go to the right schools. In fact, he didn't go to any particular school. He was ordinary in every way. He was really suspiciously a bastard child. No one knew who his father was. Of course, he knew who his father was, as did Mary. But there was always a cast of suspicion around his, his, uh, his lineage. And one thing I didn't mention last time is that he was physically ordinary. There was nothing extraordinary about Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, there's no mention of, whether, of what he looked like, whether he was ordinary looking or handsome or not so good looking, whatever he was, there's no mention of it. There are several places in the Scripture, and this is important for us to understand. Genesis uh, uh, 39 talks about Joseph, that he was a handsome man, or uh, King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9, that King Saul, that people wanted King Saul to be king, they wanted Saul to be king, he was really tall and he was really good looking. Uh, David in 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel was to anoint the new king, the seven sons of Jesse came forward and 
One after the other, the Lord rejected them. In fact, Samuel said, oh, surely this is the guy. One of them came before me, oh, surely this is him, look at him, he's got to be the king. And God said, no, no, Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance, I'm looking at the heart. And then David, the little shepherd, the youngest boy, comes forward. And interestingly, God, through Samuel, notes uh, that uh, uh, David, a teenager probably at this time, was kind of reddish. He had kind of a red cast to his skin, maybe because he was out in the sun so much. He was reddish, he had beautiful eyes, and he was very good to look at. He was very handsome. But remember, God said, I'm not looking at his physical appearance, I'm looking at the heart. He rejected all these other guys, but he picked David. In 2 Samuel 14, Absalom, David's son, one of David's sons, was known to be a very handsome man. He had hair. Once a year, he'd cut his hair. He weighed five pounds when he cut his hair. I did the math. How much hair is five pounds of hair? That's a lot of hair. Maybe it was oily. I don't have any idea. But his hair became his downfall. Remember, his hair got stuck in a tree, and he was hanging there by his hair, and he was easy pickings for those who wanted to kill him. The point is that God doesn't care whether you're good-looking or not good-looking, man or woman. It doesn't matter to Him. He's looking at the heart. And Jesus was a very ordinary-looking man. We can tell that also from Isaiah 53, Verse 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, he grew up before him. Uh, uh, the Messiah grew up, the Son of God, the Son of Man grew up before the Lord in the flesh. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Who expects a root to come out of dry ground? It's useless. But no, in this case, it wasn't useless. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. A messianic prediction in Isaiah 53. So this ordinary Jesus... Heals, not heals, he gives sight to the man born blind in John chapter 9. And they asked him, was this man born blind because of his parents' sin or because he sinned in the mother's womb? Possibly could he have sinned? And God says no. Jesus said no. Uh, he was born this way so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I reminded you that uh, when, when the Lord was talking to uh, Moses at the burning bush and Moses was protesting that he, didn't, he wasn't a very good speaker, God said, who made man's mouth? Who made the deaf, the mute, the seeing, or the blind? Was it not I? Now go, Moses, and do what I'm telling you to do. He took mud, Jesus did. He took mud in John 9. Uh, he took, I'm sorry, he took dirt, mixed it with the saliva, and made mud, which is kneading, which is making uh, 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 something a dough on the Sabbath, which the religious leaders freaked out about. And he proceeded to give the man sight. The man said, uh, when asked about this, he said, Jesus is a man. Who is he? He's a man. And then he decides, well, no, Jesus is a prophet. And then Jesus is God. And he worships him. And Jesus accepted that worship. We talked about the fear of man that engulfed his parents and engulfed others who refused to acknowledge who Jesus was for fear of the Jews because they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus in John chapter 10 is still talking to the same people he was talking to in John chapter 9. That is, the religious leaders. He, he's going to give us a parable of the good shepherd. I remember, a parable is a word picture, a simple word picture that illustrates a profound spiritual truth. Jesus taught in parables all the time. 
He just, in John chapter 9, did a very physical act, which had metaphorical significance as well. Born blind, but now I see. It's a physical act of, a, of a giving a man sight who was born blind, but it's also a metaphor for our spiritual sight. Being born blind, we then have sight because of Him. We're going to see uh, all kinds of pictures of uh, uh, Jesus and uh, bad teachers, bad shepherds, good shepherds. Remember Ezekiel 34, I illustrated, I talked about Ezekiel 34, where God said, I'm not happy with the elders of Israel. I'm very unhappy with them. They took care of themselves first in Ezekiel 34. They slaughtered the best, and they did not take care of the sheep. They did not uh, uh, find the strayed. They did not uh, seek out the lost. They, uh, uh, with force and harshness, ruled over them. And he said at the end, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. We're going to see that in John chapter 10 in this parable of the good shepherd. Now, as, we, as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, here, here's a way to look at this. I brought here a, uh, a crystal goblet. Okay. Jacob knows crystal. Crystal. I'm telling you it's crystal. How do you know it's not crystal? Does it sound like crystal? Would I toss a crystal goblet in the air like that? Would I treat it like this? No, I wouldn't. This is crystal. You hear that? It's got the weight of crystal. I'm not going to be tossing this in the air. This is an illustration of what Jesus is going to be talking about in John chapter 10. There are certain characteristics of crystal. There are certain char characteristics of a good shepherd that Jesus calls out. There's five of them I believe we'll see in John chapter 10. Integrity, authenticity, trust, leadership, and service. Integrity, authenticity, trust, leadership, and service. How do you know that this is crystal? I just showed you. It rings, it's got weight, it's got clarity, it's authentic because it has the mark of integrity. Marks of integrity that prove it's authentic. Integrity proves authenticity. Authenticity then, in the Good Shepherd case, authenticity leads to trust. When people know you as having integrity and proving your authenticity, they will trust you. Integrity proves authenticity. Authenticity leads to trust. Trust leads to leadership, and leaders serve. They're not to be served so much as they are to serve. Integrity, authenticity, trust, leadership, and service. We're going to see that in John chapter 10. Let me pray first. Father, this is your day. It's a good day. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray that uh, uh, the proclamation of your word from John chapter 10 would hold true, that I would be rightly dividing your word in fear, in concern, in desire for you. I pray that these precious brothers and sisters would have open hearts to receive your teaching, and that we would be changed because of it, and that we would have an ever-increasing love adoration, and worship of you through your great Son, Jesus, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John 10, chapter, uh, John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly. Now, that's very interesting. He repeats himself. He wants you to get this. 
He wants you to make sure that you're listening. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, you have to understand, this is a, a setting of a town. Well, it's not out in the open in the rural areas. The, the, the description is going to move into the rural areas, but this is a description of a town where people were kind of gathered together in a small community, and they had uh, different houses had, had little pens where they'd have a few sheep. Not a bunch of sheep, but a few sheep here. Next door has there and there and there. There were walls in these pens to guard the sheep from wandering off from thieves and robbers. Remember, Jesus is talking primarily to the Jewish leaders here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by another way, he climbs over the wall, in other words, he climbs up by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Who are the thieves and the robbers in this picture? It's the Jewish leaders. They're thieves and robbers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and they, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's personal. He's leading them out into another setting to graze. They come in the morning, early in the morning. The shepherd comes. The gatekeeper opens. He brings out the sheep from here. They know his voice. It's very personal. It's very personal. They, they, they follow him because they know him, and they know his voice. This is literally true for shepherds. The sheep look, and they hear, and they know this person, and they follow him. That's the picture of a good shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens, verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You notice it's personal, name, 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 not group, more name, personal. The shepherd is known by the sheep. Who are the sheep in the parable? Well, we are. If we know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are the sheep in this parable. This is the picture he's giving us. The thieves and robbers are false teachers, those who would draw you away from the true shepherd or would steal your joy or would steal your understanding of the nature and the character of the true shepherd, the one that rings like a plastic rings. It's hollow. But the ringing of the crystal, that's what the sheep hear from the good shepherd. To verse 4, when he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's interesting in, in, in this uh, culture, uh, the sheep are led out. In our culture, sheep's, uh, sheep are driven out, maybe by sheepdogs. They're pushed along. They're pushed along. But in Jesus' culture, they're led, like we are to be led in the church. We are to be led by a good shepherd. Personal. He brings out his own. I own these, and I'm bringing these out to pasture, to good pasture, to good things. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They run from a bad teacher. They run from bad doctrine. They run from someone who doesn't know and love them, who will lead them astray, who will lead them to bad fruit, bad things. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Ultimately, the good shepherd is Jesus himself. He says later, you'll see, he says, I am the door. He calls himself the door twice. He, he guards the sheep. He, he allows sheep in that are his, and then he protects them and leads them out. He's the door, but he's also the shepherd. He describes himself twice in that way. He's the shepherd and the door. It's a figure of speech in verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Now, why didn't they understand? Why didn't the Jewish leaders understand what he was saying to them? It's a pretty simple word picture. Why didn't they understand what he was saying to them? Because they weren't of his flock. They weren't his people. They didn't understand in John chapter 9 when he literally took a man who was born blind and gave him sight. They didn't understand that either. And now he's, he's taking another avenue to get to the, the true picture of things, and they still didn't understand it. Why? Because they weren't his sheep. I'm just going to skip down to uh, John 10, 26. You know why they don't believe? John 10, 26. They don't understand. He said in John 10, 26, you don't believe because you are not part of my flock. You can't believe because you're not a part of my flock. Now, that's a very interesting thing. You might think he would say, you're not a part of my flock because you don't believe. But he flips it around and he said, uh, you don't believe because you're not a part of my flock. You can't believe because you're not my sheep. That speaks of the sovereignty of God in choice and election. You don't believe because you're not part of my flock. He doesn't say you're not a part of my flock because you don't believe. You can't believe unless he picks you and selects you in election. So they didn't understand what he was saying. And Jesus repeats himself in, in verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, emphasis, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He refers to himself as a door, of course, again. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Through me. Jesus is exclusive. I am the door of the sheep. Let me help you understand, but you're not understanding. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the shepherd. He is required. He's not optional. The true shepherd rings like crystal. It doesn't sound like plastic. Thieves come only to steal, kill, and destroy. How, do you, how does a thief come to steal, kill, and destroy today? False doctrine self-adulation, self-glorification, look at me, look at me, aren't I special? Jesus is less, diminishment of Jesus, calling attention to yourself rather than calling attention to Jesus. Steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just salvation. We're not just to have salvation and enjoy that and be done with it. The Christian life is salvation, but that's just the beginning. How do you have more abundant life? You abide in Him. Uh, Jesus calls us to abide and remain, no matter our circumstances, no matter what difficulties, difficulties we face. And as we abide in Him, we should be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22. What is the fruit of the Spirit? One fruit of the Spirit emanating in, in nine different words and attributes. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you can live like that, as you abide in Christ, you'll have power to live like that. You'll live more abundantly regardless of where your circumstances land you. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You notice it's not about the good shepherd being served by the sheep. The good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. He's personally involved in the sheep's lives. They know him. They trust him. He lays down his life for the sheep. 
He doesn't risk his life for the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. He decides to lay his life down. He makes that conscious decision to sacrifice himself for the interests of the sheep, selflessly. That's the ring of crystal. Verse 12, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. When we, when we bring a pastor in, he's not a hired hand. He's not an employee of the church. Church. I'm talking about any of the churches that we have in our work and churches that I've worked with in the past. We don't think of our shepherd, our, our elders, or our pastor as hired hands. They're not employees. They're shepherds. 1 Peter 5 talks about uh, uh, attributes a shepherd ought to have, how they ought to live, what they ought to be. And then he says, when the great shepherd appears, there'll be a reward for those shepherds who serve well. The great shepherd is who? Jesus himself. We are simply, if we're elders, we're simply under shepherds to him. He is the great shepherd, and we look to him for power and guidance. And as we demonstrate the attributes of Christ, as we demonstrate authenticity and all of the other five, all the other four things we talked about, that's crystal, not plastic. Hired hands are not shepherds. Uh, they, they don't own the sheep. They're not responsible for the sheep. They see danger coming and they leave the sheep and flee. Why? Because they don't care about the sheep. They just don't care. They're in it for, for whatever purposes they have in their own minds, but they're not, they're not in it to take care of the sheep. They flee. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And here it is again where Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Do you understand? I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. K-N-O-W. That's that personal relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Again, remember, this is a parable. It's a word picture that illustrates a, a great spiritual truth. When he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, he's talking about Gentiles. I, I don't think, is there anybody here who has a Jewish heritage? You're all Gentiles. I'm, I'm a Gentile. I was not born Jewish. We're all Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about us those who are not of the Jewish fold. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people, to Jewish leaders, and, and those who may have been listening who aren't in the Jewish leadership, but they're Jewish nevertheless. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, remember, this is, this is uh, at this point, how many Gentiles were in Jesus' group? None. He had a little, a small band of uh, followers, a small band of followers. Uh, uh, they were not Gentiles. So how could he say, I have other sheep that are not of this fold when they haven't been converted out of their Gentile paganism? Well, in Jesus' mind, they're already in his fold. He knows us. He knows, he knows us and he knew everybody before us who was Gentile, who, who came to be followers of his. They're already a part of his fold. In the great high priestly prayer later in John, Jesus prays, for those who will hear the word of his followers and become his followers. Generations after generation after generation. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They had no idea what he's talking about. 
I must bring him, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. That's the Gentile and Jew together under the headship of Jesus. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't tricked. He wasn't deceived. He was betrayed, but he wasn't tricked or deceived. He laid it down. He decided to do so for us. I lay down my life that I may take it up again, the resurrection. No one takes it from me. You sense the power in his words. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I decided to do this. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Son of man, son of man, God in human flesh, of the same essence as God. This charge I've received from my Father. And that's what elders are to do. That's what shepherds are to do in this life. They're to lay down their own self-interest, their own reputations, whatever it might be, for the interests of the flock, of the people of God. Every local church around the world is an expression of the body of Christ. The shepherds in charge, the shepherds who are only under shepherds to the great shepherd Jesus Christ, they're to do the same because he's the example to us. So in verse 19, they're still fighting about him. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Of course, we've heard that kind of talk before. And then others fought in his favor. So you see from this parable, this word picture that illustrates a great spiritual point. Integrity, authenticity, trust, leadership, and service. Those happen to be the five stones in our five stone churches network. Integrity, because I work with, I work with pastors and elders. I help pastors and elders, at least I try to, to shepherd well. Those are the five stones right there. It's right out of John chapter 10. Integrity proves authenticity. Authenticity leads to trust. Trust leads to leadership, and leaders serve. Contrary to the world, leaders served. Serve. Leaders serve. And once people trust you, once they know you have integrity, like this crystal goblet, and you ring, and you have the weight, and they bump into you and say, that person has integrity. When I was a boy, my dad had a, a Studebaker car. You might not be familiar with Studebakers. I was a little tiny boy, and I remember my dad had a Studebaker. And I'd sit in the driver's seat, and they had this enormous wheel. And I thought, oh, this is such a cool car. It had a push-button start, and had, it was just amazing. In my mind's eye, I remember it. And I remember looking down at the floorboard, and there was a picture of a red carriage, an old-time carriage you might see in colonial days, but it was red. And uh, it said, Body by Fisher. The body of this car was made by somebody named Fisher, I thought. Body by Fisher. See, that was the mark of authenticity in that car. It was an authentic body by Fisher car. I had no idea what it meant, but I knew it was good. I knew it was good. What we have here, on the heels of John chapter 9, where Jesus gave sight to the man born blind, he's going to say, okay, now I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to illustrate for you what I'm talking about but you don't understand. You just don't get it. But I'm going to give it another shot to help you understand, but they don't. So we'll see in uh, verse 24 of this chapter, the Jews gathered around him. That's, uh, they're gathering around him to challenge him. Uh, you think Jesus was scared? 
Uh, was he intimidated? No, of course not. They gathered around him. And they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? Another way to ask that question is, how long are you going to annoy us, Jesus? You're so annoying. You're just an ordinary guy. Look at you. Listen to you. Where have you been? Where are you from? Nazareth. Oh, boy. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus says in verse 25, I told you and you don't believe. Much like the man in John 9 said, I already told you. Do you want to become his disciples? Jesus said, I've told you you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. That should be enough for you. But it's not. You don't believe because you're not a part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So, what about you individually? Each of us individually, we make a choice. What are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do when we, when we do have a, a pastor come in to shepherd this flock? How are we going to treat that person? Just don't, don't forget John 10, John 9 and John 10. A pastor, an elder, is not a hired hand. He has an assignment. The assignment is, out of the mouth of Jesus to that person, this is your flock. I am the great shepherd. You are an under-shepherd to me, 1 Peter 5. You're an under-shepherd to me. You do not own these sheep. These sheep are mine. You take care of my sheep. I'm giving you, you an example. I'm giving you instructions, under-shepherds. This is how you are to be. Integrity, authenticity, trust, leadership, and service. That's it. Forget about everything else. Take care of my people. We're going to move into a time of communion. And we're going to consider again the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, before the cross, the suffering, the beatings, the plucking of the beard, the crown of thorns, the mocking with the purple robe, the, the soldiers who were saying all manner of wickedness to him. We are told in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 to take the, the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. Remember at the Last Supper, he, he, uh, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread, take the cup, and do this in remembrance of me. He said it about the, the, the bread, and then he said it again about the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. The warning is, we do it in remembrance of him, but we have to be careful not to do it in an unworthy manner, which is to be glib about it, to take it lightly. We are not to do that. We're to take it in, in consideration of our own frailties and our failures, our failures to do or to say what we should do, and our failures in doing what we should, in our, our, in our doing what we should not do as well. Those are both failures. Listen to what I want. I want to remind us what we're remembering. Also from Isaiah 53, what are we remembering? Isaiah 53. I read the first uh, couple of verses talking about he having no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Here's what we should remember. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Before Christ we esteem him not. That's, all, that's our story. That's all of our testimony if we know him. He was a nobody. We esteemed him not. Verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silenced, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man of his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. That's what we're remembering. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.